I'm Brandon Isle with BYU-Idaho Radio, and joining me in the studio is Gerald Griffin. He is having an exhibit, and it's called The Road Less Traveled By, a retrospective exhibit of Gerald Julian Griffin. Thanks for joining me here today. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Now, this is kind of a long time coming. Uh, You retired in 2019, and typically you have an exhibit soon after that or around that time, but COVID kind of threw a wrench in plans, and so here we are today, 2023. Yeah, every every year that date would kind of come and go, and it just COVID seemed to linger, and and uh, they had uh, you know precautions about meeting, and and a reception is a big part of a uh, you know a, a retirement exhibition, and so I kept pushing it back and pushing it back, and finally we got a date in twenty twenty three, and so we decided to make that one work if we could. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you taught here at BYU-Idaho for 34 years. Yes, that's right. And tell me a little bit about your experience. What are some of the highlights? Well, there were quite a few highlights. Um, I came here in 1984 when it was Rick's College, and uh, it was a much smaller school. It was a much more familiar school. Um, Most of our students came from Idaho and Utah, and it had a little bit of a, should I say, a provincial quality about it, but we, we kind of liked that. Uh, we had great football games and basketball games, and we used to take our family to all those activities, and it was just a, we used to have a homecoming parade and all kinds yeah. of things. And then right about exactly in the middle of my tenure, after 17 years, they switched to BYU-Idaho, and of course, all the changes that that brought and all of a sudden, we were a little bit more of a cosmopolitan school, uh, drew a lot of students from California and Washington and Oregon and, and you know, all, all over the place, really. And we had to develop a four-year curriculum. Um, with the uh, expansion to BYU-Idaho, we uh, demolished the old original Spory building and built a newer version of the Spory building that had an art gallery in it. And I was already the quote-unquote art gallery director, which really didn't mean a whole lot before we got the art gallery. But when the art gallery came online, uh, we would have four shows every semester. And in this era of building, we also were tasked with developing an art collection. And so I became the campus art buyer. And so all of the, virtually all of the artwork on campus um, came from that about 20 years of, of purchasing artwork. And it, I mean, it was the greatest job in the world because you had budget to beautify campus, but I also wanted to beautify campus with things that had intrinsic value paintings and one-of-a-kind printmaking signed by the artists. So we developed a big collection, and we had many subcategories in that collection. So what you see today is really uh, we're from the efforts of that era, and that was, for me, a real highlight of my career. Well, what I love about that is you can see most of that art. You go to a building, absolutely, and, and there's different types of art yes. in each building, and, yeah. and it's so fun to see. Yeah. Uh, we have... Uh, Remington print here in the radio station that right. I got to choose. It was it was being fixed. The something yeah. was being fixed about it, and I said, "I want that." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of the ideal circumstance if we can make that work. Um, 
We have a broad spectrum of things, and and it's not, you know, I mean, there's some religious-oriented artworks, but there are also tremendous uh, collection of secular work, landscapes, still lifes, different expressions in art, because, you know, art, art is the broadest of all possible topics. And and so in the Man Wearing Center, for example, we're going to have probably different works of art than we would have in the you know, in the Taylor building or in the Hinckley building where it would be a little bit more religiously mm-hmm. oriented. Yeah. So. Yeah. What a great, great thing to be able to do in your career. Oh, it was. And I, I think this exhibit that you're displaying kind of shows some of that. You've had an eclectic uh, just body of work from printmaking to oil to still lifes and landscape. Yeah. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about what people can expect when they walk in. To the exhibit, well, you know, <clears throat> when you're when you have some artistic ability, and you, the reason that that it's called uh, the road less traveled by is that uh, I didn't necessarily come from a background in the arts. Um, my my grandparents and and others in my family were musicians, so there there was artistry there. But when I chose to become an artist, you, you, um, if you become a teacher, in my view, you need to become fairly broad-based because you're tasked with helping people who have lots of different goals in art. And so you can't just be an artist doing one thing and developing one thing like, like many gallery artists are. Um, if I were to sell exclusively in Jackson, for example... I'd probably develop a real signature line of artwork and be known for that thing. And people would be able to tell, you know, that this was a Gerald Griffin painting, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're a, when you're a teacher, and especially a, a college teacher, you have the opportunity to not only learn uh, a lot of different techniques, but to, to try a lot of different things in art. And so most artists work in series and so for a couple of years, you'll do a series of still life paintings, and then you'll switch. And of course, I I had never painted landscape before I came to Idaho, and so I kind of taught myself how to took some workshops and taught myself how to do landscape. And and for years, I I took off on landscape, and then you something else would grab your attention. And to me, that's really valuable in the classroom because if someone comes in with a you know specific direction, hopefully you can help them with that. So it's a little different than just being an artist. Yeah. And, and even if you don't do that specific art, you can help them find ways to learn right. and, and grow. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my over guy, overarching philosophy anyway. So, yeah. Um, I noticed in your, uh, landscapes, especially there are a lot of rivers. <laughs> T- tell me why, why rivers fascinate you so much. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think all artists are alike on one level, and that is that they, if you don't have a good design, you don't really don't have a good piece of art. It doesn't matter how much frosting you put on that cake if it's not a good tasting cake. And so on the design level, a river in a landscape for me is a perfect way to draw someone's eye into the painting and push them back into the, you know, whatever distance you're creating in that. Because... Obviously, you're working on a flat surface, 
but through perspective, you're you're opening up distance. And so a river goes from big to medium to far away. And so uh, to me, a river is a perfect device. And, and maybe, maybe I overdid it with the rivers. I've never had anybody <laughs> say, gee, you like rivers. But, I, I'm just wondering if you're yeah. fishing each of these rivers. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to fish. Uh, again, my, my good buddy, uh, Matt Geddes, a sculpt, who was the sculpture teacher here, our, our careers were pretty simultaneous with each other. He and I used to fly fish, you know, every weekend. And so, yeah, maybe subconsciously those rivers are a, a huge part of my love of the yeah, outdoor we see landscape. the Teton River pop up. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one. We used to fish that one quite a bit. Some other, what I love looking around this exhibit especially is that your different work is grouped together. You have your still right. lifes in one area, you have sketches in another right. area, and the landscape kind of right. sprinkled throughout. Uh, what what do you love to look at when you're done? Do you have something that just grabs your attention more than other work? Well, you know, I, I've never done a retrospective before, and a retrospective means looking back. And um, so I wanted to include some things that came from my very early career uh, when I was a college student. And I wanted to include a diverse, uh, diverse groups of things that have interested me over the years. And that's probably why, you know, to, to design any kind of coherent exhibit, it would make sense to group similar things together. And, and I also like to show for example, there's a there's a whole section of still lifes that are um, displayed what they call salon style, which means that they're stacked and there's more than just one picture. And then moving left to right, there there there's a picture, a painting above and below. And I did the same thing with um, these landscape studies, kind of to show um, the the amount of effort and the amount of uh, work that it takes to develop a, a good painting. For example, when you go out and, and you paint a little uh, 11 by 17 landscape, you work out all kinds of visual and compositional problems and color problems and so on and so forth. And then you kind of decide whether you want to take that to the next level and take a, a big one because the little ones don't take quite as much Time obviously is the big ones, and so those are kind of all preliminary works. And I thought it would be fun for the patrons to come in and and see, you know, of the of the twenty or so um, still lifes that are on the on the wall. I've actually painted over 150 still lifes. Wow. Those are just the ones that made it to the gallery. <laughs> and so there's, you know, it, it's like a musician, you know, he practices and practices. And you hear the performance, but you don't really, you know, you're not aware of all the hours and hours in, in solitude that he's practiced and and tried to perfect what, it, what he or she is doing. So Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your process. How do you decide... For example, taking something from 11 to 17 to, to a larger scale, but but even how are you deciding what to paint? What what grabs your fancy yeah, to, that's to a, actually start? That's a that's an excellent question, and it's one that I I'm not sure most people think about when they see a, a, a painting. Um, I tr- would always tell my students 
try to um, try to understand, try to resolve what it was that intrigued you about what it is you saw. Was it the was it the relationship of the uh, the pattern of the trees? Was it the was it the color? Was it the movement inside that thing? Was it the time of day? What was it that really intrigued you about that scene? And if you can kind of put your finger on that, then that's something that you can emphasize. If you lose that, sometimes it becomes a very less than compelling work. But if you can realize that thing, then very often people will pick up on what it was that that kind of inspired you to do it in the first place. And so that that is a good question. It's an important thing to try to preserve that because sometimes in the midst of painting something, you'll move away from whatever it was that inspired you in the beginning. And that starts to weaken a work in my view. So that's a, that's a great question is staying, staying true to that thing that originally inspired you to do it in the first place. Yeah. Do you ever look at some of your older works and cringe or, or do they bring you joy to see that they're still as great as when you painted them? Yeah, both, (laughs) both. You know, and, and it's interesting because in the world of art, I mean, in the world of accounting, for example, you're not going to go back over 40 years of spreadsheets, you know, decide <laughs> if this guy was a good accountant or not. But in the world of art, it's all right there and you can see it all. And, and yeah, you, I used to look back and cringe a little bit, but I, I look back now and, and and you just kind of evaluate where you were and what you needed to learn and and what you didn't know, and um, I, I think too much in the world of the visual arts and other places, we're we're so unnecessarily competitive, and sometimes um, artists are competitive more with other artists than themselves. And if they're if they have any humility, it's not about competing and saying that you're better than someone else because we all have different gifts and we all have different ways of seeing things. But what's important is is competing with yourself and improving and saying, you know, I, I lack something here and I want to learn it and I'm going to go to a workshop. This is somebody I admire and I'm not going to be them, but I'm going to try to absorb what they have that I can use in my own work to make my work better. And so if you, if, you, if you compete to be the best, you're always unfulfilled. If you compete to do your best, then you're very fulfilled because you can see the growth in yourself. How have you seen that growth through your career? Oh, I, you know, I, <laughs> I should still be teaching because I feel like I, I paint better now than I ever have, you know, and, and, it, and it saddens me sometimes that that I retired at 66 because I think, man, the last few years I've really grown as a painter and I could, I could do so much more than I was doing back then. Um, so, you know, I, I, that might be, that might be true of a lot of people in a lot of different things. But then again, there's a, there's a time to step aside and let new people fill that role. I, I, I walked through the art department yesterday and there was there was nobody around in the afternoon. They were all busy doing other things. But I looked I looked into the offices of some of the art teachers down there. 
because they have this little window in their their the doors of their offices now. And I was really impressed with what I saw. And I, I thought, you know, it's we we had some real dominant personalities and some really good artists here at BYU Idaho. We had Leon Parson, we had Vince Bodley, we had Matt Geddes, we had some really good painters. We had Richard Bird and uh, you know, others and and they all made their contribution in their time, but there's a time to step aside and let let newer people make their contribution. And I'm really impressed with what's going on. So Yeah. As as you think about this retrospective and and the the work that you have done, uh, what do you hope that people learn or see or feel as they view this exhibit? That's a great question too. In fact, I was just talking to my wife about this last night, and I and I said, you know, the thing that the thing that really kind of inspires me is that um, it's not really so much about me. That's that's kind of the excuse to get people together. You know, people who are my friends and my relatives and my colleagues over the years. But it's about getting people to do something that they don't often do. And that would be to attend an art exhibit. You know, sometimes when they travel and go to New York, they'll go to the Metropolitan Museum or they'll go to some big art museum. And I understand people do that. But when you think about it, really, how many how many art gallery experiences do you have in the course of a year? You go to the, to the movies a dozen times and you might go to a concert or two, but who, who goes into an art gallery and really looks at, at paintings and sculptures and so forth? You just don't do that very much. And so when people come to a, a show like this, it's, it's a thrill for me to have friends and, and relatives and loved ones and colleagues and former students uh, get together and and have this kind of reunion and, and and talk with each other, but also to just look around and and try to find something on the wall that speaks to them, and then we can talk about what it is that they like, you know. And to me, that's just that's just a lot of fun, and it gets people doing something that they don't often do. Yeah, the exhibit will be open for about a month or so, and yeah, until October nineteenth. Yeah great opportunity it's free you can go there and you can go to the artist reception as well yeah. and and meet gerald griffin yeah, that's yeah please do <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for your time today you bet thank you